Welcome back to the AGD podcast series. My name is Dr. Wes Blakesley, and I'll be your host today. We are now practicing in the age of dental medicine, and the medical community embraces the role that systemic inflammation plays in the development and progression of many chronic diseases. We're part of that equation, too. We know that inflammation from poorly managed periodontal disease is a serious risk factor, just like poor diet, lack of quality sleep, obesity, hypertension, and lack of exercise. Today, we can help our patients achieve wellness by co-managing the risk factors that link oral and systemic diseases. We can and must create a bridge to our medical colleagues. Here with us today to discuss this is periodontist and educator, Dr. Tim Donnelly. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm quite anxious to be here. Now, this is going to be a great discussion. Uh, Tim, before we uh, take a deep dive into our topic today, uh, tell the members listening in about your background in dentistry. You bet. Uh, I am primarily a private practice periodontist. I did my schooling at the University of Notre Dame, uh, undergrad, Georgetown Dental School, got my perio training at Indiana University. I actually practiced general dentistry for about three or four years and then decided to go back and specialize. But like most of us, I wear many hats. In addition to my private practice, I'm involved in clinical research. I do quite a bit in continuing education and uh, uh, publishing as well. So we met about five years ago. You actually uh, flew out here to uh, <clears throat> the uh, Jersey Shore lecture to my study group. It was really, uh, it was an epic lecture because not a lot of people we're really talking about the uh, oral systemic connection, role of dentistry in medicine, and so on. So you had a new message about dentistry, and I'd like you to uh, begin our discussion uh, with that message for us. You know, it's interesting. We, we've spent the last at least 50 years drilling into anybody that will listen, brush and floss or else your teeth will fall out. And there's no question that that message has gotten through. You tell anybody that you're involved in dentistry, and invariably, one of the first things they'll do is confess their oral hygiene sins to you, as if that's all we're really good for in dentistry. The fact of the matter is, we can do so much more for our patients. And it occurred to me that the fact that our beloved brush and floss message didn't motivate the throngs of patients who had unmet needs to come in and have those needs addressed, I don't think that was evidence that the message has failed to get through. I think it was confirmation that the message has to change. The fact, and I choose my words carefully, the fact of the matter is inflammation anywhere in the body is bad. While inflammation doesn't necessarily cause the systemic diseases of aging, clearly it's inflammation that's the fuel that drives the development of these diseases that rob people of the quality and quantity of life. That's indisputable in medicine and should be in dentistry. Inflammation anywhere in the body is bad, the mouth contributes to this systemic burden of inflammation. There's no over, now overwhelming evidence that inflammation of oral origin contributes to the systemic burden of inflammation. Therefore, rather than brush and floss or else, I think it packs a great, much greater educational and motivational punch to say, instead of telling patients, yeah, come in and get your teeth cleaned twice a year, to rather say to patients, Inflammation anywhere in the body is bad. The mouth contributes to that inflammation. You need to partner with us because you can have inflammation in your mouth and not even know it. Most patients don't. 
we're the only people that can tell. You need to partner with us over your lifespan so that we can create for you a functional aesthetic dentition that's not only relatively inflammation free, but is designed that you can keep it that way. Because doing so has the potential to not only give you the benefits of a preferred level of oral health, clearly it contributes to overall health as well. So Tim, when you lecture to us, you also mentioned uh, not only that there's a new message for us in dentistry, but there's a new goal of dental treatment. And I'd like you to uh, expound upon that. We explain to our patients that in general, there are, there are two relatively distinct areas in the mouth. There's above the gum and there's below the gum. And I like to make sure my patients understand brushing, flossing, which toothbrush you use, mouthwash, coming in to get your teeth cleaned, all of that addresses above the gum line. What's really critical is to determine if you have any inflammation below the gum. And then for us, the therapist, to provide therapy that maximizes the chance that the etiology that's leading to that inflammation subgingively will resolve. And as a result, I think the new goal of dentistry is to help patients indeed achieve a dentition that's relatively inflammation free, both above and below the gum, and has the ability to be maintained as such. And I will tell you, that's a lot different than simply saying, well, I think the pocket depth is too deep. We have a number that we get to and we think, oh, geez, we better jump in and do something. I think it's about a lot more, a lot more than pocket depth we need to determine if patients have any of the shared risk factors that put them at increased risk for not only periodontal disease, but also the potentially affected systemic diseases. We can manage those risk factors. And if we help them achieve over their lifespan, a preferred level of oral health, minimal inflammation, maintainable dentition, there's no question that that contributes to overall wellness. Tim, is there any proof that periodontal disease causes systemic disease? You know, that, that, that's a great question. And it, it comes up, there's always been a little bit of a def, divide between the pure academicians that uh, pompously stand up and say, well, we just don't have enough proof yet. No, there is no proof that, for instance, periodontal disease causes cardiovascular disease. And in fact, in my lifetime, there probably isn't going to be proof but you have to understand why there isn't proof. To be able to prove that the oral cavity causes systemic diseases, we really have to be able to measure the degree of inflammation being produced orally. We have no way of doing that yet. We have to rely on the relatively crude method, but it's reliable, of sticking the big metal prong in and seeing if it spurts up blood. And we know if it does, that there's a problem there. We know that the chronic absence of bleeding upon probing is consistent with histologic health. So as a result, until we're able to actually quantify how much of the lining epithelium is ulcerated, how much bacteria and local inflammatory mediators are spilling into the bloodstream, we're never gonna be able to prove that there's a link. But maybe we shouldn't be asking for proof. In the same way that we generally regard keeping your blood pressure to a respectable level, 
keeping your cholesterol to respectable levels, that that's an important component of healthy living because it contributes to cardiovascular disease. I think that's the new approach for dentistry. No, we can't yet say that it causes cardiovascular disease, but there's overwhelming evidence that oral inflammation contributes to the systemic burden of inflammation. And that sure seems to be something that we not only have the opportunity, I think we have the responsibility to make sure our patients know that. I like that. Uh, now, here's, here's a tough one, okay? How do we, as dentists, use the oral systemic information to educate and motivate patients? I, I am telling you from my private practice experience, from my continuing education experience, this is finally gives us the teeth in a message that has the potential to educate and motivate patients. And we very simply now, and it only takes one cycle of recall patients, we educated every one of our patients to realize the least important thing we're doing for them is cleaning their teeth. The least important thing we're doing is cleaning their teeth. The real reason they're coming to us is because they're partnering with us to control the contributing factors to their overall systemic level of inflammation. My patients know when they come to me, they're in essence here for an inflammation check. And in fact, what we do is we determine the number of sites that show bleeding upon probing. We convert that into a percentage and we give patients an inflammation score. I think we can all agree, you know, for 50 years, we've talked about pocket depths. Most patients still don't have a concept of what that's about but they sure know that if they have a 70% inflammation score and we know that the goal is to get it as low as possible, that they have to do something about it. We tell them that the whole thing is about eliminating inflammation and we partner with them to achieve that. I like that. I just wrote a few notes down here, excuse me, uh, back on the beam. So uh, now this is another toughie, okay. How can a dental office uh, interact with medicine medical offices to help their patients uh, in their practice. I'm in a unique position. I have a brother who is an orthopedic surgeon. He's, uh, in fact, he's a big wig at the Cleveland, the world-renowned Cleveland Clinic. And as you can probably imagine, my mom likes him a lot more than she likes me. And, and, I, and I, <laughs> that, I say that with a little bit of humor behind it, but you know, there's always been this feeling in dentistry that, uh, you know, we really aren't fully vested players on the healthcare stage. I'm happy to tell you that is absolutely untrue. Yes, most medicine doesn't understand what's going on in the mouth, but man, they're receptive to it. Absolutely positively. Now, a great place to start practically is with your patients that have diabetes. We have, we have for instance, a standard we send out we find out who's managing their diabetes on the medical side. We say to them, look, we can help you improve your patient's blood sugar levels. There's overwhelming evidence. We share the evidence with them. We can be your partner in helping your patient improve their blood sugar control. We do the same thing with cardiology. As I said, I wear many hats. One of the hats I'm involved in is with a cardiology study, which we'll talk about in a bit. The reason I got involved in that study is cardiology came to me. Medicine came to me and said, 
hey, we know that the mouth plays a role. We need to get on top of this. It seems to me at times it's only dentistry that's hesitant to do this. Tapping into the relationship between medicine and taking the approach that we can co-manage the factors we have in common, that has proven to be tremendously rewarding from a practice management standpoint, from a personal standpoint. Uh, I indeed, I occupy the same level of importance that my brother does at the Thanksgiving table now. And it's a nice feeling. <laughs> That's good to hear. Actually, I'll just share with you and the members listening in. Last week, I received the first phone call from an internist uh, to seek my services in commanding patients. It took a while, but you can do it. You just have to be persistent. It'll happen. There's no question about it. I, I had one of those... Uh, seemingly innocuous moments that was probably profound upon reflection. And it just happened uh, two days ago, I had a, a patient, a physician patient, and he was asking about some of the uh, relationships between oral and overall health, which got into a discussion to where he finally said to me, he said, doc, I know you're busy, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but is there any way I could set up a time that we could talk more about this? And I thought, holy smokes, you know, that's completely turned 180 degrees where we used to beg for acceptance on the healthcare stage. It's, it's completely turned around, which is a great, great, great thing for dentistry. No, that's good to hear, Tim. It's very, uh, <laughs> It's very helpful to hear that uh, it can happen. And that's why I shared my experience with, with you and the folks listening in. So let's jump uh, down to the next one here. Uh, you know, we got some, uh, not, I don't know, bad uh, press uh, in the early stages of the pandemic, uh, you know, medicine's essential or not. Uh, do you think dentistry is essential? The pandemic has given us a lot of things. It's given us anxiety. It's given us fear. It's given us a significant amount of depression. But the other thing that it's given us is really an opportunity to kind of almost do a, a, a do-over, if you will. You know, there's a lot of things that we, in essence, kind of just let slide in dentistry, the, the brush and floss or else being our mantra, considering that patients, uh, the biggest reason they're coming in to see us is to get their teeth clean. With the pandemic, we now have the opportunity to say, no, 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 wait a second, wait a second. We actually can play a role in terms of pandemic management. Now, the truth of the matter is we've always had this information. We just have never embraced it. What the pandemic has done is added some significance to it. With the stroke of a regulatory pen, yes, we were deemed non-essential in dentistry. Absolutely, positively, nothing could be further from the truth there's overwhelming evidence that systemic inflammation reduces a person's resistance to infectious disease. That alone suggests that it's a critical thing if patients wanna make sure that they're as resistant as possible, whether it's the pandemic or to any systemic insult, putting a preferred level of oral health on the list seems like a reasonable thing to do. Even more so, there's now emerging evidence, of course, that the people that have the more difficult time with the COVID-19 are the ones with pre-existing conditions, obesity, cardiovascular disease, diabetes. We play a role in all of those. We play a role in all of those. 
it sure seems reasonable to say, man, patients that are coming into our offices who are over their ideal weight, who have diabetes, who have cardiovascular disease, these are patients that we should take a priority approach and make sure that we do what's ever necessary to eliminate oral disease and keep it at bay. We know there's enough information that oral disease is a contributing factor to those diseases. As a result, simply by eliminating oral inflammation, we reduce the likelihood of patients having those coexisting conditions. But even more importantly, the latest research suggests, and I'm involved in some of this research, that the mouth might actually harbor the SARS-CoV-2 viral particles and indeed might be a reservoir in COVID-positive patients that have periodontal pockets. The periodontal pockets might be a reservoir to cause the virus to persist, to seed other areas in the body. Now we're early in these studies, but if in fact that proves to be true, you know, another factor, if you wanna steady yourself and make yourself as resistant as possible to insults like SARS-CoV-2, boy, I would partner with a dental professional and make sure you have no inflammation in your mouth, you have minimal pocketing in your mouth that the subgingival environments are maintainable and I would make sure that you are, they are adequately maintained because the research is strongly suggesting that that can play a role in not only COVID-19 development, but the intensity of the disease as well. Exciting research that's going on now as we speak. Yeah, that certainly is. I've not heard that. And thanks for sharing that. It's, uh, it's useful, but frightening. <laughs> certainly, it's a crazy time. Tim, when you lectured to us a few years ago, I forget the year, it was about, I think about three years ago, uh, actually, I still have your notes, believe it or not, and uh, uh, you suggested that we treat some patients and some sites differently. What, what did you mean by that? A patient comes in, that's a tobacco user. Now, historically, what we've done is we very proudly tell them that, you know, if they have gum disease, gum disease causes bone loss. If you lose too much bone, your teeth get loose, and your teeth come out, and then we crescendo uh, at the point when we say, in fact, gum disease is the leading cause of tooth loss in adults. And we typically stop there. I don't think we should stop there anymore. For specific patients, which I call priority patients, I think we have, once again, both the opportunity and really the responsibility to go further with those patients. If you stop and think about it, tobacco users are, and they well know this, are at increased risk for cardiovascular disease. We all know, and we tell our patients that are tobacco users that they're at increased risk for periodontal disease. What we have to add to that story is, look, we tell our tobacco using patients, you're already at risk for heart disease, you're at increased risk for gum disease. If we don't jump on the gum disease and aggressively manage it, it's gonna further contribute to your cardiovascular risk. It's even more important for you. I don't care what your insurance covers. I don't care if you're only supposed to come in twice a year to get your teeth clean. We can't monkey around with this. We have to stay diligent to determining if you have any inflammation in your mouth and doing anything necessary to get it to most rapidly resolve because it's going to pay dividends beyond your mouth. In a similar fashion, you can tell a similar story to patients that are over their ideal weight. 
obesity is as strong a risk factor for periodontal disease as tobacco use. And yet nobody even mentions it. And, and I get the whole, you know, uh, social hesitation to discuss this with patients, but as healthcare providers, I think we have to address this. Obesity is a strong risk factor for periodontal disease. Patients that are over their ideal weight already are at increased risk for a host of a, a whole host of systemic diseases. They're at increased risk for periodontal disease. If we don't aggressively treat that periodontal disease, it's going to further add to their systemic burden. Patients that have diabetes, you know, a, a stop in the dental office might not be the first stop for a patient with diabetes and managing their diabetes, but man, it sure should be the second. It sure should be the second. We treat patients that have diabetes aggressively, realizing that they're priority patients. There's more at stake, if you will. Postmenopausal women, the information emerging linking dementia, uh, to eti the etiology of dementia, to pathogens from the oral cavity. You know, these patients are priority patients that we can't fool around with anymore. We have to go beyond the typical teeth out of brush and flossing their teeth. We have to aggressively treat them. And I think aggressive treatment is less watch and wait. We're less comfortable saying to patients that are priority patients, well, you know, there's a couple areas, but let's see how they look next time. No, we don't take the chance. There's too much at stake from an overall health standpoint. We see them more frequently. We consider adjunctive therapy at sites that don't respond to our conventional therapy. We realize that the goal for those patients is to get them completely inflammation-free. Now, I know that's a challenge. And I know that it's difficult for some patients because we're dealing with a multifactorial disease, but it is possible. And that at least has to be the standard that we're shooting for, realizing that disease has ramifications beyond the mouth. And man, I hope that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It's a, it's a great message. I was trying to make notes, but I'm just gonna have to listen to the podcast and then make some better notes. Uh, this is great for a staff meeting. In fact, we're gonna play this for our team, and I hope uh, the folks listening in will do the same thing. Uh, you know, we're very involved with oral cancer diagnosis. We just diagnosed a patient with cancer a few weeks ago. We can do a lot for our patients, and we, we truly are, Tim, practitioners of dental medicine. Uh, but anyway, uh, you get me really charged up here. Uh, <laughs> I've got to go to the next question. Uh, in your textbook on ultrasonic debridement, you talk about selective debridement, selective debridement. Can you explain that uh, to us, what you meant by that? Yeah, and I, I will apologize in advance. Uh, it's going to sound like I'm getting up on my soapbox, but th there are a couple of inconvenient truths in dentistry that we have all kind of aligned ourselves with that I think need to be re-examined. The whole approach to debridement has always been get the calculus off. And secondarily, well, we kind of give everything a few good scrapes in case there might be something there. Most of us start at the distal of number two, give it a few good scrapes, go to the buckle, the mesial, go up the one side, down the other. Maybe for the next patient, we'll, for a little bit of variation, start on the left side and do the same thing. Rather than that shotgun approach, I think we have to take more of a hired assassin approach. Now, if you stop and think about it, the etiology is biofilm. Biofilm's a microscopic term. 
Yes, biofilm forms plaque and calculus, but it's only when the biofilm grows to the point that we clinically see it that we call it plaque. And plaque calcifies, and when the calcium crystals grow to where we either tactily or visually detect it, we call it quote-unquote calculus. And I think when I say calculus, most dental practitioners immediately have a vision of what I'm talking about. But I think that vision might not be accurate because if you think about it, biofilm's microscopic. Not all biofilm forms plaque and plaque calcifies to form calculus. Not all calculus is clinically visible. And what I'm getting at is the goal of debridement has to be to eliminate or at least interrupt the etiology in all of its forms. Yes, get the detectable calculus off, but don't stop there. Then the key is to expose every square millimeter of the affected root surface. To expose every square millimeter of the affected root surface, that is the root surface that's no longer encased in bone, to expose it to an approach that has the potential to interrupt any microscopic etiology. We don't yet have the ability to tell if it's coated with microscopic biofilm or microscopic calculus, but we can't take the chance. Now, that means that the topography of the surface is important. You know, really debridement, rather than being a tactical experience of getting the calculus off, I think it has to be a two-stage approach of removing any clinically detectable debris and then exposing the surface to an approach that removes any potential microscopic etiology. And in doing that, I think it requires determining what the topography of the surface is, what options you have. That takes a decent amount of expertise. I think too often what we do is we do kind of a, a half-baked job everywhere rather than an awesome job at the sites where it's needed. So what we teach is indeed a selective debridement approach. Do a maximum job at the sites where inflammation is present, remove any detectable calculus, expose the root surface to an approach to make sure you paint every square millimeter of that root with a method capable of interrupting any potential microscopic etiology. Then as time permits, go ahead and give the once over everywhere else. I think too often, patients leave after the typical maintenance visit. And when they do, you know, the areas that we like to do, there's a huge amount of stain or there's a huge amount of lingual calculus, clinical calculus, and we get that off and we feel so good about ourselves. I can tell you as a periodontist, I see patients that have been under regular care for years and there are sites in their mouth that have been chronically missed. I think we would be better off putting maximum effort at the sites where it really needs it. And then as time permits, kind of giving everything else the once over. That's a great outlook and it makes a lot of sense. I like that. Uh, let's see, we're getting near the end here, Tim. I got some more questions. What are some of the things that dental office can do to change the message that they're giving to their patients? Because it all comes down to communications, doesn't it? Boy, doesn't everything come down to communication? <laughs> and, and not only communication, but it has to be consistent. You know, what we do is that from the moment people come into our office, you know, I finally broke down and I took out the brochures and the pamphlets that had been in my reception area for the last 28 years that no one ever looked at, that I didn't even know what the content. 
I finally parted with them. And we have very controlled messages. You know, patients know from the moment they come into my office that the reason they're here is because inflammation anywhere is bad. The mouth contributes to that inflammation. The tagline in our message is find out if you have any oral inflammation. It's more important than you think. That's in all our signage. We reinforce that on our health history. Yes, the health history has all the information that we need so that we know that we're not going to kill the patient and they're not going to kill us. We do all the safety information. But man, we really use the health history as a marketing tool. We have carefully designed questions so that when someone checks off that they're a tobacco user, it explains to them the reason we're asking is because tobacco users are already at increased risk for heart disease. You might not realize that as a tobacco user, you're at increased risk for gum disease. Gum disease itself can make your heart disease worse. It's good that we're finding this out because we're going to put you on an aggressive track of treatment. For each of these potential systemic conditions that are affected, we have a similar carefully worded question that gets patients to realize before they even get into the room, man, this is a whole new ball game here. We in fact have a handout I love to give to patients at the end of their maintenance visit, the title of which is the least important thing we did today was clean your teeth. And it goes on to put a postscript on the message that we've delivered consistently that says the reason you're coming to us is so that we can determine, do you have any of the risk factors? We're gonna control the systemic factors that we already play a role in. We're gonna educate you about nutrition. We're gonna educate you about tobacco cessation, about your BMI and your uh, weight category. We're gonna talk about sleep. We're gonna screen you for sleep apnea. When you leave my office, you're gonna have a chance of really affecting the most important factors that play a role over time in you're achieving a better level of wellness. And our whole message is it's high time to add achieving a preferred level of oral health on the list of health promoting behaviors. Well, this is powerful. I could go on for another half an hour. We're just about to run out of recording time, uh, Tim, but I want to thank you on behalf of the AGD and all the members listening in for sharing your experience and expertise with us today. This is powerful. I mean, we can save lives today and we can improve lives today. But I think, you know, looking back, I went to dental school in the 70s. I think that's why I went to dental school. It wasn't just to fix teeth. I wanted to impact people's lives. Tim, I've spent a day with you. You are an excellent lecturer. Uh, and for the folks listening in who have study clubs and would want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way? Uh, we actually have a, 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 I put up a new website that actually has my own podcast. It's beyondthemouth.com, beyondthemouth.com, and you can find all information there. I'm a big believer in sharing information for the better uh, of everybody. And as a result, there's a ton of useful clinical information there that you can use in your practices. I love the interaction. Together, we're all stronger with the message. The time for dentistry is now. Let's leave the cleaning lady image. Let's leave us as the senior members of the oral hygiene police behind and redefine ourselves as important members of the healthcare community. I truly believe that the most important person that a patient can see to achieve the highest level of wellness over their lifespan, the most important person they can see is a dental professional. 
I absolutely believe that. I love that. And that's a great way to end this recording. Again, Tim, thank you so much. Uh, it was a great, great interview. Thank you. That's my pleasure. You guys do great work. Thank you.